welcome. We are live. This is Talking Shop, and my name is Teresa Reed, and today we are here with a very, very fabulous show. So let me let me just tell you guys where you can find me. You can find me at www.thetarolady.com. Uh, when Mercury retrograde's going on, which it has been wreaking havoc on me lately, well, it may take a minute or two for you to find me, but ultimately, that's where I am always at. And I'm here with my lovely co-host. And my co-host, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this fine Wednesday evening. I am Bree Saucy, and like Teresa, when Mercury is not retrograde, you can find me at www.milagroroots.com, but right now, my site is experiencing some technical difficulties, so just bookmark it. You can go back there later, and we have an excellent show planned for tonight, don't we, Teresa? We do, and you know, we do a lot of business online, so this is really, I have to kind of laugh now. It's like, oh, the online world is failing. Well, here we are today. I know, it's really perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, it's a kind of like a reminder from the universe that uh, having a business online isn't the only way to have it. Tonight, what we're talking about is how to build a brick-and-mortar business, in other words, a storefront or a salon or a studio. Uh, Bree, have you ever worked in, in an environment like that, like a metaphysical shop, or have you had any experience with that? I have, actually. I, I worked in a crystal-slash-metaphysical shop in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for three years um, in the lobby of the La Fonda Hotel. And I also apprenticed with Cat Ironwood, at Lucky Mojo. So I didn't work in the shop. I did a three-week apprentice program with her over three years, but we learned, you know, the ins and outs of a candle shop, and so that was really, really awesome. So yeah, I have had a little bit of experience. What about you, Teresa? Uh, actually, yes, I have had experiences in brick-and-mortar businesses. Years ago, I uh, helped a uh, a local metaphysical shop get uh, set up, and that was a long, long time ago. And I've read in metaphysical shops as well. So I have had some experience, but I've never, you know, had one myself. So I know a lot of people really, especially in our industry, they they love the idea of having their own shop or like yoga studios. I have a yoga studio. That, that's a brick-and-mortar business, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of... Um, People would still, they still want that. They want to be part of their community. So, you know, brick-and-mortar business is still very important in this day and age. So we're going to be talking all about that. And we have an absolutely fabulous guest today who has a ton of experience. Do you want to introduce our guest today, um, Aubrey? I almost gave the name away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And Heather Lee, I want to make sure I do your last name uh, correctly. Is it Navar? It is. Okay, perfect. So we have with us today Heather Lee Navarre, and she is one of the owners behind the popular Boston Tea Room. You can find them at uh, www.bostontearoom.com, and this is a renowned physical metaphysical shop in the Detroit area. She is also a psychic medium, an ordained minister, and meditation coach, as well as a teacher of tarot, mediumship, and psychic development. So she wears many hats, you guys, and she is so very knowledgeable. Heather Lee is also the founder of Middle Path Meditation, which provides group meditations and weekly classes, and the co-founder of the Detroit Area Tarot Guild. 
She lectures and teaches on a variety of topics throughout Southeast Michigan and across the country. Welcome, welcome, Heather Lee. Thank you so much for joining us today. Brick and mortar shops are such a hot topic, especially when your website is down. <laughs> and, and you know, I I think that for a lot of people, uh, brick and mortar shop it, it's like it's the dream, right? Wouldn't mm-hmm. you say, Teresa? Oh, totally. I think I think a lot of us fantasize about, you know, having our own shop, having our own again studio, our own salon. But you know, it's very very intimidating. So, you know, I think that the, the first thing we need to ask you, Heather Lee, is how do you get started? What is the first priority? Well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the truth. I'm a little bit of a cheater when it comes to this because this has been our family business. So I did not have to have the experience of starting a shop from the ground up. Our family's been doing this for well over 30 years, and I'm actually the fourth generation who's involved. So I walked into a shop that was already existing and that had already been doing readings. That was about 12 years ago, and we had a great core group of readers. We only did services. We didn't sell any retail product at all. It was basically a coffee maker, a teapot, and six or seven part-time tarot readers, really, and that was the core of our business. And it became pretty apparent when I came on board to kind of help out with the family business that that was not going to be enough to – help us thrive and grow into the next millennium. It just wasn't going to cut it. So we were going to have to either really start touching up with society and and what's going on in this field of study and field of pursuit, or we were going to go the way of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. So we we made some big changes. But, you know, I think to get back to your core question of what does one have to do to start, the number one requirement is really passion. You have to have a passion. Um, I hear from so many people who are struggling with their business because they thought it was going to be easy. They may really love tarot and really love kind of an intentional, spiritual sort of new age way of living or a Wiccan pagan past, but they don't understand that this is really, it's not one of those things where if you build it, they will come. It has to be something that you're devoted to, and it's certainly not easy. A friend of mine just recently turned me on to the expression that one of the few things, one of the things, the only thing more uh, overrated than uh, owning your own business is natural childbirth. And I thought, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. So it's it's really tough, but it's absolutely the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life. I love it, love it, love it. How how did your family get started in it when they made the decision well, to, to do it? Yeah, and, you know, I get asked this question a lot because our, our shop name is Boston Tea Room, and yet we are now and always have been in the Detroit area. So this confuses a lot of people, and I will get calls from Massachusetts saying, hey, I'm trying to get there. How do I get to you? What bus do I take? And I think, well, honey, that's going to be a long commute for you. Um, so, But what happened was my great-aunt Rita who was born and raised in Salem but lived most of her life in Boston, Massachusetts, 
Massachusetts, had come here after retirement to be with my aunt and uncle who owned a, who lived here and had a small restaurant here. And so she came to be with her family, really, her her son and and her grandchildren. And uh, she would spend her nights in the restaurant as they were serving their guests. And she did tea leaf readings and playing card readings. And she did this as sort of something to keep her busy and occupied in her evenings. And it became so popular that pretty soon people were coming into the restaurant and saying, oh, I don't want anything to eat. I just want Rita to do a reading for me. And <laughs> so they cleared out. They cleared out a storeroom above the restaurant and they, you know, people would walk up this little narrow flight of stairs to this small gabled room and that was the first Boston Tea Room. And now, you know, it's 32, 33 years later and we're still doing it. And Aunt Rita has passed away and so has Uncle Phil and uh, the family, my Aunt Jerry passed it on to my mom close to 20 years ago. And so now my mom and my sister run one of our shops and I run the other. I love that story. I love I it. It's a good one. It's it's nice to have a family legacy like that. And you know, my background had been I think my first job I was thirteen years old and I've been working with the exception of two week vacations, I've been working full time pretty much the whole time since then and, and a lot of my work was in retail. I did a lot of corporate retail and I briefly worked in the music business. You know, I ran away to live with a rock and roll musician. I did social work and I worked in homeless shelters and battered women's shelters because I always just really wanted to help people. Yeah. But then when you when you burn out on helping people in crisis, you realize maybe there's a way to do what I love and be able to help people before they get into those crisis situations. And that's really what having a brick-and-mortar tarot storefront has done for me. I get to counsel people and work with people and help them kind of map out a life strategy moving forward before they're in those dire circumstances. And I get to spend time with people who are investigating their own spiritual evolution and help put them in touch with products and services and practitioners who may be able to accelerate their growth on whatever the path they choose. And that, to me, has really been one of the blessings of this work. Ah. Uh. That's beautiful. That's 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 absolutely beautiful. And I I love the fact that it started with like a real need in the community that your your aunt was doing these readings and people people were asking for them and so it grew very organically. Right. And you know, I want to point out a lot of times people will say, "Well, that po- wouldn't possibly work in my community because either it's too um it's too conservative a community, it's too religious a community, it's too southern of a community, whatever it is, they always have some reason for that. And I want to say, you know, we got our start in Wyandotte, Michigan, which at the time had held some national statistic for having more Catholic churches per capita than I think any other town, at least in the state, possibly in the nation. We were a very Polish Catholic blue collar community on every intersection we used to joke there will be a church on three of the corners and a bar on the fourth corner you know, <laughs> going after mass and and so in this very blue collar not very affluent super Catholic community we not only launched a business like this really organically but it not only survived it has thrived and so when people tell me oh it's too religious I say you know, pish posh or stronger words to that effect. 
And mm-hmm. also people will say, oh, it's a recession or nobody has any money and so there's no way to do that. Look, we're in Detroit, which every week is in the news because of this bankruptcy, and we're supposed to be, you know, one of the worst off cities in the country. And I got to tell you, we don't just have one business, but we have two, one on either side of town, and our doors are open at both shops seven days a week, and people do not stop coming in. So this idea that somehow there are external forces that are going to prevent us, I think that's really um, a lot of times it's people's inner fear finding a way to be articulated through this, it can't be done, it can't be done. I'm here to tell you, if we're doing it in Detroit, by God, Michigan, it can be done anywhere. Amen. Right on. (laughs) That's something I think people really need to hear because – not just for brick-and-mortar businesses, but you really hear a lot of that downer talk that yeah. I can't do it, I can't make it. And, you know, you're proof that in a, quote-unquote, down economy in a city that really gets a bad rap, you can absolutely continue to grow and thrive and have all these people working for you and they're making a living. So it is possible. It's possible. It really is. and. You know, look, I I am a realist, and I will tell you, about five years ago, we opened our second store. And, you know, five years ago, things were pretty tough all over. And a friend of mine had a space across the hall. She had a little candle shop on one side of the hall, and they were thinking about putting in a reading room. And she and her sister, who both also do readings, kept saying, well, we could do this just like Carol and Heather Lee do at the tea room, and we could do this. And they talked about doing it themselves for about 45 minutes until one of them went, or we could just call Heatherly and ask if they want to open another Boston Tearum, and then we wouldn't have to do all the work. And, you know, we laugh about it now, but it turned out to be a perfect solution. When she first approached me, I went, oh, no, we don't have any, you know, money in the bank. We're we're cash in hand right now. We're just getting by month to month. We don't have any savings, so it's probably not a good time to do this. But the next thing I knew, I was picking out paint colors, and we haven't looked back since. And, Mm. and, you know, when it's right, it's just right. When you're being called, when you're being led, you just go with it and don't ask too many questions. And, you know, that that space, that leap of faith that we took five years ago recently turned into – an expansion, yet another expansion, we now have a 3,000 square foot um, space in the heart of downtown, and it's one of the most heavily trafficked streets. We have a meditation and classroom and workshop room. We have, you know, a great little cafe and tea area, and then we've got our front room with our products, plus three reading rooms. We have you know, readers all day, every day. And I think that's one of the keys to success. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but I think a lot of shops will bring in tarot readers or Reiki practitioners or people as sort of a way to, oh, offhandedly supplement their income, but it's not a core part of what they're doing. It's sort of Mm. treated as some side thing. And I don't think that those readers and practitioners are often treated the way they should be. I don't think they're given the promotion and the marketing and the support and the development that they should be. And I really think that that's a big problem within this industry is that very often the folks who are creating these wonderful spaces, these brick-and-mortar spaces, 
are instead of working in concert with readers and practitioners, there's almost animosity between the two. The readers never feel like they're getting a fair shake, and the store owners also feel like they're not getting one. So I would love to see people working more on developing those relationships because that's really been key for us. You know, our... um our dynamic at our Ferndale shop, which is on the north side of Detroit, um, just just one mile north of Eight Mile, um, is 50% retail and 50% reading. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is the perfect marriage. That is the sweet spot. And so when owners don't put the time and effort and investment into the reading, I think both sides suffer. So if you can do both you're really then you're really doing a great service for the community right on yeah well that you know that brings us to a to a really interesting question um because i think that when people think about brick and mortar businesses this is one of the places where they get hung up which is like when you have people that that are working for you um and when you're you're creating the business or or developing the business further um what kinds of contracts do you do you need to have or do you need to be aware of what kind of legal forms do you need to take into consideration when you're doing that kind of development Sure. Well, and I think that's a really scary thing. If someone's considering opening up a brick-and-mortar studio, um, they're terrified of any kind of liability, and they're terrified of being responsible for people and obligated for other people. And I think that's why you see so many shops that open with just a single owner, and that poor owner is there Monday through Sunday, day in, day out. And then when they hit burnout, they decide to be closed three days a week, and then their customers can never find them, and then they end up because they're not making up any money. So I think that you either get that model where they're terrified to bring anyone in or they try and do this sort of co-op sort of thing where you do your thing and I'll do my thing and we'll all just kind of trade off and we'll volunteer to pick shifts. And, and then you've got too many cooks and nobody's really accountable to any one person. And so neither of those models really work for me. Now, all of our readers are independent contractors. And so that way, they have the right to choose when they're going to work. They tell me what days they're available, and we look at our schedule, and we map it all out. Um, and then they get paid for the work they do. That way, as an owner, I don't have to pay someone if they don't, you know, aren't getting as many readings as they should. And if someone comes to me and says, uh, you know, well, I only got three readings on that shift, and this other person got ten, Instead of me saying, oh, well, you know, I'm so sorry, let's see what we can do, my question to them is going to be, all right, let's look at the difference between the types of readings and the quality that you're delivering versus that person. When they've got so many more than you, there's a reason people are being drawn to them, and I can help that reader kind of improve the service that they're giving so that they are increasing their earning potential. But I'm not, I don't have to pay if someone's better at the at giving readings than someone else or they're um, – they have a particular knack for connecting with a certain target market, 
then, you know, we can identify that and that gets rewarded in just sheer volume. I don't have to pay the same amount to two people who are unequal performers, but I also have a built-in way to sort of motivate people to do better if they're not doing well. And so that actually really works. The readers work with one another and they help motivate one another and they train one another. We um, are really adamant that we only hire people who are willing to not only mentor other readers, but also be mentored by. So yeah. we don't want to work with anyone who feels like they already know it all. <laughs> and we don't want to mm-hmm. feel like anyone who who it isn't teachable. You need to be coachable and willing to coach, you know. And so that dynamic works really well. So the independent contractor model works great for us. Now, we also do have paid staff, and those are my folks who stock those shelves and wait on the clients and answer the phones and answer questions and brew the tea. So I don't ask readers to perform the tasks of staff, and I don't ask staff to perform the task of reader. Everybody has a really clear role, and I think that's absolutely paramount. You have to know when you come to work, you have to know what you're going to be asked to do, and you have to have clear boundaries. And this brings me to another issue that, you know, is a big concern for me in this field. You know, um, like I said earlier, I am a realist. I know that even though we're doing great, a lot of places aren't. In those past five years when we've gone through this big expansion for ourselves, our geographic area has lost about half half a dozen similarly themed stores. They've gone under, they've gone out of business um, for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it's the personal reasons of the proprietors and it doesn't have anything to do with business success. But very often it really is because of, um, you know, not having the numbers that they need to make it viable and sustainable. And I don't want to point the finger and kind of victim blame, but I will say that I see a lot of times When we come to this work from this aspect of I want to be of service and I want to be involved in spiritual spiritual work that I feel good about, we confuse that with lack of systems in place, lack of accountability, lack of discipline, and lack of structure. And so very often I see people who say, well, she just had a really good energy, so that's why I hired her. I don't ever hire anyone because they have a great energy. I hire them Mm -hmm. because based on my really rigorous interview methods, which I've been honing for 20 years, (laughs) I'm convinced that they meet absolutely all the requirements of a good employee, not just a talented psychic or tarot practitioner or Reiki master, but a good employee who can be dependable and, you know, accountable and all those other things and be a functioning member of a team. So I think when we're too, I call it woo-woo purple moo-moo, you know, when we're too (laughs) woo-woo purple moo-moo, you know, stuff just doesn't get done and it doesn't get done well. And as a result, people don't want to spend time in that kind of chaotic environment. So... So that's my that's my little rant about being too too focused on the air quote energy air and air quotes you know and not focused enough on really the reality of hey guys this is a business and at the end of the day we we have to pay the light bill yeah. right on absolutely so what is one of the reason that reasons that Teresa and I fell in love with each other because we were like hey you're a true road reader who actually likes to make money hey you are too yeah you like business and oh my goodness you have a structured business yay yeah. <laughs> right 
you know, and I talk to so many people who, you know, they really have this purple collar ghetto mentality of like, oh, I believe this is spiritual and therefore I shouldn't make money. Well, the last time I checked, Catholic priests had, were making a living. They're getting money. They're getting, there's bread on their table and wine on their table. When we require assistance from people on our spiritual path, historically we have been fine with providing a living wage to those people from whom we seek that assistance. So Absolutely. why is it that... For some reason, when there's a tarot card involved, we're not interested. Or other people will say, oh, but it's a, I believe it's a divine gift, and therefore, you know, I should. Well, guess what? I believe Barbara Streisand's voice is a divine gift, but that doesn't mean she's going to let me come to her concert for free. I'm still going to have to shell out about $400. So, you know, there. yes, I think that some of us really do have an innate ability, but those of us who are really good at what we do and who are worth our salt, we took that innate ability and we have invested decades and often thousands upon thousands of dollars and time. We spent so much time learning and growing and disciplining that gift, and that's what's valuable. You know, I don't think anyone's going to take any advice or guidance that I give them seriously if I'm doing tarot readings on a cardboard box under the I-75 viaduct. It's just not going to happen, you know. They don't want to come sit there. They want to come to my beautiful shop that's gorgeously painted and sip very high-end, organic, delicious green tea, you know. I mean, they want the full experience, and and I'm going to give it to them because I want that experience too. Right on. Yeah. So, so you mentioned about you know the, the, you don't go by the energy of of your employees. So I'd like to know how do you hire and fire fire? I want to hear right. this too. How do you hire mm-hmm. and fire employees or the readers who come to work for you, your staff? How sure. do you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I got really good at this because I when I worked in. Um, in social work years ago, I did a lot of volunteer recruitment, so I had to learn how to fire people that you weren't even paying, and that's really tough. Sometimes it's hard to get them to go away. And so what I learned, my, my core belief in hiring and firing is my job is to bring on board only those people who I think are going to be best able to help me achieve my mission. Okay, so in nonprofits, it's what is the mission of this agency. In my case, it's what is my mission as a tea room, as our shop, what is our goal. And so if that person, for any reason, I don't feel like is going to be able to help us achieve that mission, I tell them, you know, thank you so much for your interest. Here's why it's not going to work. And so the formal process that I go through, and I get to do this a lot because, you know, we're a big shop, and um, and we're not the only game in town, but we're the most well-known. So about 50 times a year, I have someone walk in their front door and want to read for me. And that's a lot. That's once a week. And interviewing someone once a week is just too much. So I have a full application, and it's the same that you would see in any kind of corporate environment. It's a two-page front and back. The readers have one application, and the floor, the, uh, floor positions and sales positions have another I have them fill that out and then go home. I never, ever, ever will sit down with someone just off the cuff on the spur of the moment. I insist on appointments because I want to know that you can respect my time. So then I send them home. 
And then if I see something in that application or if they accompany it with a resume, if I see something that's a little different or that really speaks to me or that is a unique skill that they're talking about that I don't currently have represented within my roster of really talented folks, then I may call them and ask them a few questions on the phone. If I, we decide to get to a face-to-face -face interview, and this is rare, probably only about 10% of applicants ever get to a face-to-face -face interview, uh, I spend the first hour asking them some hardcore questions. You know, it's the typical interview stuff. Look, why do you want to work here? Where do you see yourself in five years? That sort of thing. And then there's a list of kind of mid-range um, questions uh, about, you know, what's the best job you ever had and what's the worst job you have ever had and why. I'm amazed at, at how much truth people will tell. One of the questions I always ask is, how do you handle stress on a daily basis? And I was amazed. I had one young woman who said, oh, I pretty much bottle it up. And I said, well, okay. I said, well, what, what do you do when that bottle gets full? And she said, oh, I pretty much explode. Well, the interview's over at that point. You know, and and so I know, you know, I also had a young girl who I thought was really a great candidate. I asked her the same question. She said, well, I practice a lot of yoga and I work on my breathing and I go for a walk. And I thought, oh, this is all good. And then she said, and, you know, I smoke a lot of marijuana. So that really <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, and that's great, and I judge no one. However, you don't tell that to a prospective boss. That It's not even that I have a judgment about whether or not you're going to use recreational drugs. My judgment is about if you don't have the discernment to not tell that to a prospective employer, I also know you're going to be oversharing about a lot in your personal life at work, and I'm not interested, you know. So um, so some people don't make the cut for that reason. Another question that I ask them is, tell me about your oldest friend. Who are they and what is your relationship to them? And I have found that that has been one of the key questions for me. And I learned that a long time ago. I was working with um, someone whom I believe now really had some, some mental health issues. And one of the, the keys that I found over time is when people do not have long-standing, and I mean, I'm in my 40s now, so if you haven't, don't have a best friend that you've been friends with for decades at this point in your life, then there's a problem, and the problem is probably you. You know, if you're incapable of creating and sustaining emotionally intimate friendships, then there's a skill set that a really basic sociological skill set that is missing that I believe is absolutely fundamental with dealing with the public and dealing in a group setting. So I'm not interested in those people. And there are a lot of people who, when I ask them to tell me about their oldest friend, they'll say, well, you know, she's really a pain in the ass and I don't really trust her because she's always trying mm. to steal any man that I'm dating. And I'm like, and scene, you know. So it's amazing. I always tell prospective employers, Listen to what people tell you because you will be amazed at how honest they will be. So see the red flags and don't just say to yourself, oh, what pretty decorative banners. And don't think that just because you need someone that you can make someone who's less than ideal work. I would rather cover those shifts myself and work shorthanded until we can get the right person in so that's my hiring process as far as the formal. But then I also, if they're applying to be a reader, I have them do a reading for myself and then for 
three to four of my other staff, and I have them do it all on the same day, at the same time, back to back to back to back. Because there are plenty of people who can do one reading and it'll be phenomenal. And two readings and they might both be okay, but then they get drained. They haven't yet had enough practice to get to that point where they can do this and they can do it repeatedly. You know, we get pretty busy. So there are times when you might have six, eight, maybe even ten readings in a shift. And so I need to know that you know how to manage your physical energy and emotional energy and sustain the caliber and the quality of your reading from person to person. I'm also looking for people that don't have that canned scripted reading that kind of generically applies to 95% of people because they took a lot of psychology classes in college Mm -hmm. so that weeds that out. And so after they've done those four or five readings for myself and my staff, I send them all home and I tell them, I'm very honest, I say, thank you so much for coming in. Now we're all going to go talk about you behind your back. You know, and they <laughs> laugh and I laugh. And and, uh, and I have a little form. Before we get together, before my staff and I get together and discuss the relative merits of each candidate, we fill out a little one-page form and we rate people on a scale of kind of one to five, um, with five being excellent and one being no darn way, (laughs) you know, and there's needs improvement or, you know, could be coachable. And it's everything from the appearance, how do they present? It's not, you know, you don't have to be an eight or anything like that, but no matter what you look like physically, are you presenting yourself professionally? You know, don't come in in a tracksuit. If you're doing tarot cards, at least have your nails manicured or clean, you know, that kind of thing. Be showered, be cleanly. And, um, and so cleanly, is that even a word? So <laughs> but be clean. <laughs> be clean. And so it's everything from what might be construed as a little bit shallow with appearance to what is their knowledge of their tool, whatever tool that is that they're using. Um, how professional are they? How articulate are they? Um, how accurate are they? You know, if we're talking about past issues or things that are going on currently, you know, it, does it resonate? Is it new information? Is it entertaining? Because let's be honest, very often we really are in the entertainment business. I'm in a walkable downtown area. So some people are just dropping in for a 15-minute se- session after they've had their frozen yogurt, you know. And so we're not doing a lot of deep stuff in those particular sessions, you know, which is not to say that we don't. But at the very least, you have to be entertaining. So we rate them on all of those, and then we get together and kind of talk. We make our notes, and and we, you know, kind of bounce things back and forth. Does this person bring something to the table? At that point, we do talk about their energy. Do we think they're going to be a good fit? Do we think they're going to mesh well? And then if we decide, you know, kind of based on their numeric score and our conversation, it becomes pretty clear. Like, yes, we absolutely want this person. And in that case, they get a phone call inviting them on board. Or, wow, there's really a lot of potential here, but she's so new at this. She really needs needs to be more seasoned, and we'd love to see her after six months or a year of more practice with, you know, different types of people. We'd love to have her come back. And then we call them and we let them know, you know, here's what we thought you were really great at. Here's where we thought we identified some weaknesses. And I don't know if you'll agree with that, but if you do, we'd love to see you come back in the future and try again. So, so that's my process. 
And um, and then for firing, you know, firing it gets trickier because sometimes there are people who absolutely are able to help us achieve our mission when they first come on board. And then over time, that changes, either because their life path has changed, their conditions and circumstances have changed, or just the working relationship between myself and them may have changed. There are some people who... Um, you know, we've had people leave when we brought in cash registers. And, you know, when I first came on board 12 years ago, my mom was still running the place with no credit cards and just a fanny pack. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> cash only. And a lot of things were done purely on trust. And uh, and when I brought in the first cash register, I had three people quit. And really that told me all I needed to know about their level of integrity, right? So, you know, so Sometimes it really is an issue of integrity, um, and sometimes it's just love you to death, but wow, our paths aren't really working. You know, recently um, one of my readers left to kind of go do her own thing because really she had grown as much as she felt like she was going to sort of under my wing. And I agree with her 100%. And she's now doing her own thing and she's launched a tarot community on the other side of town and she's focusing a lot on her Reiki practice and that kind of thing. And she's uh, she's created a really great community to support her in this transition and I applaud her. She just came back for a big networking event that we did at the shop um, recently with a whole bunch of other holistic practitioners. So it's one of those cases of we're still going to get together for lunch, we're still going to go shopping together, we love each other, but it was it was no longer a good workplace fit. So when it happens like that, when it's a, a natural evolution, then we're absolutely going to support you and help you and, you know, and help you do the, whatever comes next for you. But there are also people who, you know, want to come on board, learn everything that they can, and then open up a place across the street or on the other side of town. And mm-hmm. those people don't get much support from here at all once they decide to go. No, I'm not going to trash talk them because I have to remind myself that at one point in time, I loved them dearly and they were a really valuable you know, part of my team. But it's all about integrity. If you... If you're doing this right, you shouldn't want to work with us forever. You know, you should want to grow and change and evolve. And I'm always excited to see what that's going to look like for different people. You know, but I think that in this lifetime, we're all on a spiritual path, and sometimes we take steps forward, and sometimes we take steps backward. So if you're moving forward with integrity from me, then that's great. If you're not moving forward with integrity and I identify that while you're still working with me, you're going to be invited to go elsewhere, you know. And and sometimes it can really be done with grace and dignity and sometimes it just can't. And at those times I kind of channel some wrathful deities and just say, you know, my job is to protect all the people who work for me. I'm really proud of the fact that I provide a working living for, you know, two dozen people, and that absolutely, the interest of those two dozen trumps any individual, period, end of discussion. So if one person has to go for the morale or the bottom line of everyone else, I don't lose any sleep at night over that. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
That's so, a lot you know, to digest. Well, it is. But, you know, I think anytime you're working with other people, that's what's going to happen. You know, this is what we've created as a really dynamic community. And sometimes it runs really smoothly and feels terrific. And sometimes something's just not quite right and you're not sure what it what it is. And, you know, honestly, sometimes it's, hey, you seem to be having a hard time. Let's go to lunch and see if we can figure this out. And let's have a few conversations. And that has happened before. Sometimes people are just going through a funk. You know, everyone has bad days, bad weeks, rough patches. Sometimes I have one reader who every two years, like clockwork, he has to take a sabbatical. Now we just call it a sabbatical because he goes and does something else for six months and then he comes back. But he just, he gets to the point where he can't do it anymore and he needs some time away. He needs to be alone with his animals and his family and do that. And then he comes back and he's usually much more rested and recharged. So you have to learn to identify and respect and honor your own cycles, you know. So so we try to work with that and be really flexible. If someone's in, someone's got something going on where they're like, you know, I still want to keep my hand in, but maybe I'm only going to do readings one day a week instead of four, well then, yeah, let's go with that. So. Brilliant. I, I, I really like the way that you have really gotten into, you know, how you how you hire well and how you, take care of the people that you've hired so that then they're happy, you know, and they and they feel really present and very, you know, content to be in the in the shop. I think that's hugely important. Well it is because, you know, you can just shake your fist and say, Hey, it's my way or the highway and then guess what? Everyone's picking the highway. You know, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, and and I don't want that. You know, it really is a community, and we've all worked in environments. Um, unless we're just self-employed and only working for ourselves, we've all worked in employed in, in environments where there's just one person who's unhappy, and it only takes one unhappy person to really bring down a whole environment and it creates this culture where nobody wants to come to work you know it just sucks the joy out of them and you know i'm all about let's you know create joy spread joy we do you know we do fun things we've taken the staff um for last summer for our 30th anniversary i guess it was two summers ago we did a boat ride we're right on the detroit river so we rented a giant like two or three story boat and we took all of the staff and their family and we had a party and we had it catered and i actually hired um two local readers who we really who are colleagues of ours and who we really respect and admire to come and do readings for them because you know we do so many home parties and corporate parties that I thought well you guys are always the entertainment event so let's bring someone on to do readings for you so that was really fun and we had music and a DJ and caterers and a bar and it was just super fun so we'll do things like that I like to bring in people from out of town you know um, we've had some tarot authors and debt creators and people whom I really respect and admire and I'll bring them into town to host events and then you know I send my people to those classes so that they're getting refreshed and renewed new information there has to be ongoing staff development you have to give people opportunities to grow and then I also encourage all of our readers not just to do readings but to teach classes and I'll help walk them through the process of what do you love and what do you want to teach so let's 
do that, you know, or will base classes. A lot of times we develop classes based around, well, what do you want to know more about? So let's find someone within our community that does that, that knows more about it, and have them teach a class. So, you know, that give and take, I think, really creates um, more dynamism. It's not just come to work, do your job, go home, you know. And we do social things, too. Every once in a while we'll do, like, we've got next week, I think we're doing a big clothing swap after hours, you know, where we're all just bringing in our hand-me-downs and we'll crack open a couple of bottles of wine and get naked and try on each other's clothes. So it doesn't <laughs> always have to be work-related. Sometimes we can just let our hair down or they'll come over to the house and we'll all make jewelry together or, you know, it, it is about bonding. Now, again, it's work. So not everyone is going to want to be your best friend and come drink wine with you and try on your clothes. So you have to respect that too. It's not it's not going to be that right fit for everybody. And it doesn't mean that they're not part of the team. It just means that's not their deal and we have to respect that. So it can't be clicky either. And um, and it's a tough balance. And I'm not going to say for a minute that I always get it right, you know. And I'll be really frank with you. We have two shops. And the folks at my shop, they love me and think I'm awesome. But the folks at the other shop are probably counting their blessings every day that my sister runs that one and not me, you know. So, <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody's personality is going to work with different people. And um, And you just, I think it's important if you're going to go into business and open your own place, identify the culture that you want to work in and then learn how to create that culture because as the owner, you are responsible for creating that culture. And very often one person will kind of make their way into your staff or into your environment. And if you're not a strong leader, that person can sort of set the tone for the culture. And as the leader, you can't allow that to happen. You're your place, your brick-and-mortar shop or salon or studio has to really represent you. You have to be the face of it, and your personality has to set the tone. So you've got to be strong enough to assert your will over the will of other people, but do it in a way that supports them. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. So, yeah. And, you know, I also want to talk a little bit about how this seems to be so many people's dream. I think that for a long time, I was hearing a lot about how everybody wanted their own place. Recently, I have a lot of respect and admiration for folks like you guys who have taken this business sort of into the electronic age and have found that you don't have to be tied down. You know, a colleague of mine was, she and I were talking and we were talking about how she does so much international travel and I'm really quite envious of that. And she said, well, my laptop is my office so I really can do my readings and do this anywhere. It's not, you know, I'm not tied down to a geographic space. And so, you know, I want to mention that too. Make sure that you're the right personality type to really be anchored. If you're the kind of person who doesn't mind being rooted and being anchored, if you're an earth sign and you really like to get your hands dirty and you want to dig in and that stability is really important to you, then this is kind of ideal for you. But if you're a wanderer or an adventurer or that kind of thing, don't tie yourself down because you will just end up feeling, you know, sort of trapped. And that sort of trapped desperation 
that really transmits. You will telegraph that to every person that walks in the door that you would rather be outside in the sunshine rather than behind that desk, you know. And so make sure that you have the right personality and that you're really suited for it. Yes, yeah, beautifully said, absolutely. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm the kind of person where screen time is kind of anathema to me. Everyone who tells me that I should be tweeting and blogging, I just kind of go, I know you're right, but I don't want to, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would much rather talk with a person one-on-one and, you know, let and hand them that candle and let them sniff it or put that stone or that crystal in their hands and let them feel it because that's how I learn. So that's how I'm best at showing and guiding other people. But for, you know, again, I have another colleague who says the face-to-face reading, she always feels like she's reading their body language and she doesn't want to. She just gets, wants to get to the pure heart of the reading and she's able to do that much better via email readings. And um, so there is kind of a blend. Find out where you really reside. There are a lot of people who do have storefronts and one of the ways they make it profitable is they do e-commerce or they do do electronic readings via Skype or email. We've chosen not to do that. We've made a really conscious sort of um, focus to be a face-to-face brick-and-mortar store. We don't do e-commerce and we don't do email or Skype readings, although people are asking me all the time. So we probably will because I don't want to you know, I don't want to be irrational in my resistance, you know. I want to to meet people where they live and give them access to the services in a way that really makes sense for them. But, um, yeah, and and the other thing is, too, a lot of people will ask me, well, how did you do a business plan or, you know, how did you get the money or where did you get the bank loans or all that kind of stuff. And, um, And I want to be perfectly honest and upfront. I am not a numbers guru. I never wrote a single business plan. I didn't crunch any numbers. I just kind of went, sure, we can make this work. How much is the rent? I can come up with, you know, three months worth of that, and then let's see what happens at the end of that, you know. So I don't want to put this forth like I know a lot of stuff. I had a gentleman come into the shop not too long ago, and he was looking at, you know, how we've grown. He went, wow, you, he's like, I would love to ask you a couple of questions. I said, yeah, he said, can you put me in touch with your people? And I said, well, what people do you mean? And he went, well, you must have like a financial advisor and a business planner and maybe a business coach and maybe this and that. And I just sort of started laughing at him, and I went, dude, I'm my people, you know, (laughs) like I don't have any people. And, you know, you basically, I went down to a bank, I opened an account, either the woman at the bank helped me set up the articles of incorporation and file my DBA and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and then I went to the city hall and said, what do I have to do? You just go and do it. You don't worry about what you don't know how to do. Trust me, a lot of this you're not going to know how to do, so you're just going to ask people. And I find that a lot of people don't want to even ask because it makes them feel dumb, like somehow I should know. Well, if you've never opened a store before, why do you think that you should know what the local building inspector is going to make you do? You know, you just go in and you ask. And some people are really nice and some people are not, and that's because they're miserable and don't like their jobs, and so you just can't take it personally. But you ask whatever questions you don't know, and you hire experts to do things that you can't do. I don't write code, so I could never create a website for us. But a website is absolutely mandatory. You absolutely have to have it. 
and uh, and so you hire someone to do that for you, you know. And so if you know you're not going to be able to teach yourself, then hire someone who already knows. And if you think, I'm smart enough, I can figure out how to do small business taxes, then take yourself to an adult ed class or a community college class at night where you can learn how to do that stuff. Identify what you're really good at and focus on that and anything else that you absolutely hate doing or can't figure out how to do, you hire that out. And so if you do that, don't swamp yourself with the tasks that you don't want to do or can't do. Focus on what you can do. That helps keep your spirits up and keeps you from getting into that feeling like you're constantly with your head just above water. So hire experts to do that stuff. Don't spend 87 hours trying to create a website when you don't write code. You know, why torture yourself? That's very good advice. Yeah, that, I mean, that took me a while. It really took me a while to figure that out. But I've, I have long since stopped feeling ashamed about the fact that I don't know every hoop I have to jump through for the IRS or every hoop that I have to jump through to do, you know, unemployment insurance or withholding tax or that kind of thing. Not something I'm ever going to be good at. So, but there are plenty of people out there that will be delighted to help you with that for a small fee. So, so I love them. I think, Bree, you could probably say, too, that you probably feel the same way just about your business, even though you're not a brick-and-mortar shop, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I ran a brick-and-mortar shop. It was a bookstore for three years in San Francisco. And I think whether you're doing online work or brick-and-mortar, you know, there's an idea that when you take your talent and you make it a business, like a business person knows everything. And I love, Heather Lee, what you said because a business person doesn't know everything. A business person, a good business person knows what they don't know and they don't try to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> they, they, exactly. As you said, they're, they're coachable, you know, and they, right. and they go to people who can help them. Right. I mean, I have right. found that. Teresa, have you found that? I'm sure you have. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something, guys. I am design challenged. <laughs> I have, like, the worst <laughs> taste ever. Uh, you know, it really, I'm not, in our house, anything that gets designed here, it's my husband because I have absolutely no flipping taste. So usually what I prefer to do is have some artist, uh, like my graphic artist or my web designer or my husband or somebody else take care of that because if I did it, do you guys know how ugly my site would be? It would be horrible. <laughs> so, yeah, my house too. We There's a reason why I have um, I surround myself with artists because I'll tell you what, I, I veer a little bit towards um, Lisa Frank and a little bit towards Liberace. Lisa Frank and Liberace are an awesome combination. I just have to put that out there. That, I know. I want to see that. That sounds great to me. And I do the same thing. I have some of my staff are um, young folks. Uh, one of them's in art school. And so, I mean, I delegate right down to the chalkboard sandwich sign outside our the front of our store. You know, I don't try to do that. I've got amazing people on my staff. My T-shirts get designed in-house by one of the girls who answers phones and, and waits on people and makes the tea. There's a beautiful palmistry illustration on there right now. They've done amazing stuff. And so, 
utilize the services and the talents and the abilities of the people that you bring on. It doesn't all have to come from you. Just because you're the owner doesn't mean that you have to be this font of wisdom and the source of all good ideas. One of the qualities of a fantastic leader is identifying the skill sets and the talents of the people that you choose to surround yourself with and letting them use them. Talk about creating joy in your workforce. They do a great job. You're blown away. You have less work that you have to do. Let them create the displays. Let them, you know, design little info cards to hand out with the crystals. Let them have ideas and express their ideas and put their ideas into practice. And then you'll find that you've got a real give and take that is just beautiful and everybody's growing and enjoying themselves. Well, we are coming down on that note. That's a really great, great advice. We're coming down to the last few minutes. Uh, This has been extremely informative, and I'm hoping that, you know, all of our people who are listening in now or are listening into the archives later, if you're inspired to create a brick-and-mortar business, uh, Heather Lee is the person to talk to. You guys can find her at bostontearoom.com. And I really suggest that you connect with her, and she is going to be somebody that can give you a tremendous amount of good, 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 solid experience advice. This isn't somebody just talking out of thin air, and I I love that, and I respect that so much. Um, We've got another show coming up, and Bree, we've got a really good one coming up. you want to tell our audience what they can expect next month? Yes, absolutely. We are going to talk with Hillary Perry, the lovely Hillary Perry, who we all love. Um, and you can find her at tarotbyhillary.com. And we're talking about meaningful mentoring. So as usual, Teresa and I prove our psychic skills um, at the end of every show because it, whatever we talked about for the past hour always segs so beautifully into the next topic and you know we we've talked about mentoring and being coachable and um why this why this is important and so hillary is going to pick up that ball and run with it um next month and i'm very much looking forward to it because this is a topic that comes up a lot i was just teaching a class today and the the question of you know um being taught how do you how do you learn to read how do you learn to do a business and often the answer is you need you need a mentor and you need to be willing to listen to them so she's going to talk to us about that Right, and, and, you know, learning how to mentor, learning how to pick one, um, how to work with one, it, it's really a pretty juicy topic. And, you know, I always thank the universe for all the wonderful teachers and coaches and, and colleagues and people that I've gotten to learn from over the years. You know, it's always wonderful to have somebody who's been there or who knows what they're talking about to extend a hand and help you. And uh, I think this is going to be a really important topic for anybody who's in actually any type of business because I think all of us can use a little help. So with that being said, Heather Lee, I want to thank you so much for your help tonight. This has been absolutely just so much information, so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And again, it's such a treat. Well, it's a treat for us, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when we were thinking br- brick-and-mortar businesses, there's nobody else I wanted on here except you. So It was very clear. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you walk the walk and talk the talk, and that's important to me and Bree. And everybody, you can find 
Uh, Heather Lee, once again, at bostonteamroom.com. And, you know, if you're in the Detroit area, get in there. Go in there. Get a reading. Check out the stuff that she is selling and the fabulous staff that she is working for her. And I am happy to announce that my website and Bree's websites are back up. Yay! So, yay! <laughs> and we're staying up now. So, if you would like to check out me and my site and all the things that I offer, I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady, and you can find me at www.thetarotlady.com. And Bree, take it away. I'm Bree Saucy. You can find me at milagroroots.com. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate it, and we hope you have a beautiful rest of your evening. Yes, and we'll see you next month, July 30th, same bat time, same bat channel. Good night.